Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, We're waiting for the EPA to announce the RFS numbers for 2019. You know, before long, 2022 has been sounding like a long ways off, but it's getting pretty close now. That's when this RFS runs out. There are already some plans, some work being done on uh, the next step for the RFS beyond 2022. We'll talk about that with the National Biodiesel Board on today's program. Uh, We're also going to talk with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association about uh, that split oversight on uh, lab meat and FDA. We'll talk about that with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association a little bit later on. So we have lots to talk about, and we're going to start it off with Sarah Wyatt, editor and publisher of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I sure did. How about you, Mike? Very good, and I got all those outside Christmas decorations up before the blizzard hit over the weekend, so I was really glad to get that done. (laughs) Smart move. We didn't quite get that, but we did have a wonderful baptism of our first granddaughter this weekend. So uh, I wow. think that is a huge celebration. That That is very special. And, uh, well, you had a lot to be thankful for on this Thanksgiving holiday, didn't you? We sure did. We're very blessed. All right, let's look ahead now. Thanksgiving behind us, and we got to get a lot of things done in this lame duck session. I, I'm, I'm afraid we're going to hear a lot about shutting down the government again, right, as they, they fight and argue over funding? Well, there's certainly a lot of posturing going on. As you know, Mike, the Senate returns today. The House returns tomorrow. They've got seven spending bills that they need to have packaged together or passed separately likely as a, as a minibus uh, by December 7th. We've also got the farm bill negotiations still going on, an uh, effort to potentially pass criminal justice reform, a slew of nominations, including several that are very important to USDA, including their general counsel and uh, people that are going to be leading um, Undersecretary for Food Safety, Mindy Brashears, Scott Hutchins to be Undersecretary for Research and Education, and also uh, the Assistant Secretary for Civil Rights, Naomi Earp. So there's a, a lot of, of activity that has to happen in, in a relatively short amount of time. I think it's been interesting to watch over the last weekend, especially as members were getting past their Thanksgiving holiday and looking ahead to see different comments being made on, well, we'd, we'd like to have a stronger enforcement on the border, but... We don't want to shut down the government because we need to build a wall. Now, whether or not President Trump will listen to some of those arguments and try not to um, weigh in and, and say that he wants to either have a wall or no government funding bill uh, still kind of remains to be seen. He's a little busy this week as well. As you know, he's headed to Mississippi today to make a last-minute pitch for Cindy Hyde-Smith in an attempt to make sure he's got yet another Republican in the Senate. She's facing a very tough race against former Secretary of Agriculture Mike Esty. Yeah, a lot to do in a, in a short period of time. And um, then on the Farm Bill side, kind of complicating things even more now, um, 
a real battle over what should be done with funding when it comes to forest management, and that's certainly been brought to the forefront because of the uh, the fires in California. Yes, and Secretary Sidney Perdue and Secretary Ryan Zinke, uh, leading ag and interior departments, are touring California fire sites today, and so they'll be highlighting the issue of forest management. You know, we used to harvest a lot of our forests and actually have uh, an ability to clear some of the tinder that piles up on the ground. And after a lot of environmental decisions in the, in the 80s and early 90s, uh, we stopped doing much of that. Now, I don't think anybody's going to say that that's the only reason we're having these big fires. There's certainly climate change. There's been a lot of drought. There's been a lot of urban uh, expansion into areas that probably shouldn't have taken place as we've looked at historical fire patterns. But um, the administration is doubling down on the ability to do more forest thinning and to clear out some of that underbrush that tends to be the uh, really the seed stock of these humongous fires. Uh, some of the old growth trees can handle it, but when you get a lot of the smaller growth and then, of course, the trees that have died of, of the pine bark, uh, the pine beetle, and, and other diseases, then you've got just a, a fire waiting to happen. We're talking with Sarah Wyatt with AgriPulse Communications, and of course, Sarah, so much attention, so much focus on these much-anticipated G20 talks, and especially the talks between uh, the U.S. and uh, China. A lot of anticipation, a lot of hope that something positive is going to come out of those talks. Yes, the president has been tweeting about that and suggesting that the Chinese really do want a deal. I don't think the Chinese are going to be uh, as open about any kind of optimism that they're taking into the talks, but clearly there's been a lot of behind-the-scenes discussions. As we shared the past, Mike, uh, we caught Ambassador Bradstead as he was going into USDA and talking to uh, Secretary Perdue, suggesting that they have a framework that could come out of these G20 talks in Buenos Aires on November 30th through early December. And so I think all eyes are going to be on those discussions later this week as we hope to see that there could at least be an agreement in principle, uh, probably not an agreement that's going to say, yes, we're going to start buying more soybeans, but maybe an agreement in principle on how to proceed with the next round of talks. I think that could be the best-case scenario coming out of the G20. And meanwhile, still no word that, that we're going to lift those tariffs on steel and aluminum uh, on Mexico, and that's certainly having a, an impact on U.S. pork exports and, and other areas of agriculture. Any word on that at all? Not that I've heard. Now, you know, hope springs eternal that these things will start to get sorted out, but I think the next focus is going to be on what can happen with the Chinese and then, of course, you have to watch whether or not there could be some sort of a deal with the Mexican government in uh, exchange for some of the things that are going on on the immigration front. But right now, there doesn't seem to be any movement on steel aluminum. Well, it's going to be an interesting uh, last few weeks of 2018. It sure is. I mean, it's kind of like hang on to your hat. It could be a real wild ride. But... Let's hope that the farm bill negotiators continue to act in good faith. Uh, it was kind of quiet over the weekend, which should be a good sign that the work was continuing and that uh, there are agreements being cut. 
but certainly they need to get it done in order to have this sort of uh, framework that they can then get scored and make sure that they can present that to the conferees. And, and we didn't see any white smoke coming out of uh, any of those offices to signal that over the weekend, but it could be closer than we think. Yep, the clock is ticking. All right, as always, Sarah, good to talk with you. Thank you. You too, Mike. Thanks. Bye. Take care. Sarah Wyatt, editor and publisher of AgriPulse Communications. Up next, weather. Lots of uh, weather to talk about, especially in the Midwest. We'll talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson next on Adams on Agriculture. Your local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or High Soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and High Soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. powerful threat calls for a greater response when there's a battle bring strength when there's a problem seek answers when there is doubt give hope not tomorrow not in a few years but right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. 
Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, on this Cyber Monday, I'm sure Bryce Anderson's busy doing his Christmas shopping online, but we're going to pull him away for just a few minutes to talk about weather. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson joins us now. How are you doing, Bryce? You have a good Thanksgiving? I did. Uh, thanks very much, Mike. And uh, right now I'm still trying to change passwords in order to jump onto everything that I'm looking at. <laughs> Good luck with that. Well, a lot of people are kind of digging out or hunkering down uh, after the uh, the Midwest blizzard over the weekend, especially uh, came late in the weekend for many uh well, where'd this thing come from? Uh, kind of just all of a sudden, I was outside uh, working in the yard, putting up Christmas decorations on Saturday. It was this warm and beautiful day, and then all of a sudden we had blizzard conditions on Sunday. We did, and uh, that that's the way things uh, went kind of uh, across the uh, central part of the country, kind of in a belt line uh, from uh, south of Interstate 90 to uh, about Interstate 70 and maybe a little bit farther south than that, Mike. Uh, the the uh, scenario is, in some respects, uh, pretty much what we can get uh, in November, where there is a, a very mild uh, stretch of conditions to kind of finish out the uh, fall season, and then a uh, storm package moves in out of the Pacific coast and uh slows down just enough to be able to pull in some mighty cold air with it and uh, work eastward, uh, drawing in moisture out of the Gulf of Mexico and uh, bring on uh, this uh, winter-type setup. And uh, the extent of the coverage was uh, really pretty strong or pretty long from uh, western Kansas, eastern Colorado, and then all the way now into the eastern Great Lakes. And uh, the, the snowfall amounts maybe weren't all that heavy, but, uh, my goodness, uh, the kind of wind that uh, accompanied the snow made things very treacherous, and there was just enough, uh, you know, sleet or light rain uh, along with the uh, occurrence of the snowfall that it made for some uh, very hazardous travel and uh, a lot of uh, safety issues uh, that went along with that. And like I say, this can happen. During November, uh, we've seen it happen over the Thanksgiving holiday period before. Uh, when it uh, hits, it, it can hit uh, very hard. And uh, this is, uh, you know, one of those occurrences that is going to be remembered as uh, a real harsh way to get into the end of November. Yeah, it was strange. Within a week, I had been uh, shoveling my driveway, and then I actually had the lawnmower out, <laughs> mulching some leaves and things on Saturday. Now back to the, the snow shovel. Now, is this behind us for a while, or we have more coming up? We've got more coming up, and I think the, the big feature uh, with the way the uh, forecast is shaping up is that it is just going to be on the cold side over the central and, east, and eastern uh, parts of the country for about the next uh, 10 days or so. Uh, we're looking at temperatures that are going to be uh, below to much below normal, and there will be some uh, additional rounds of precipitation as well. I don't think that there's going to be anything real heavy, but uh, there will be uh, several occurrences of light snow, you know, kind of off and on. I mean, the middle part of this week, this coming weekend, maybe uh, during uh, the Tuesday-Wednesday time frame next week, and along with that, uh, temperatures are going to be uh, below to much below normal. Um, you have to think that that kind of potential is out there because the the uh, precipitation forecast out on the West Coast from Northern California through the Pacific Northwest 
is for uh, some pretty heavy uh, rainfall primarily during this coming week. And the energy to bring on that rain just isn't going to slowly dissipate. It's not going to uh, slowly just kind of die off. Uh, all of all of that energy is going to translate eastward, and so that uh, gives us our uh, probabilities that we're going to have these uh, wintry-type conditions, at least on the temperature side, and then, like I say, with um, a few uh, rounds of uh, light snow kind of off and on. Talking with DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Well, Bryce, we know that, and still today, some folks are really having trouble getting around. And It was, I guess... Oh, yeah. uh, when, it was kind of a line, wasn't it? As you said, you could almost see it on the map. Uh, if you were on one side of that line, it was a lot heavier than on the other side. Very, very much so. Uh, there, there was a there was an area, kind of a corridor, uh, from around uh, western Kansas that uh, extended eastward toward about Kansas City, Missouri, and then worked northeast uh, into uh, the Great Lakes, and uh, that's that's where the the real, uh, the worst of it was in terms of road conditions and uh, the the combination of some light to moderate snowfall, but then very strong winds that uh, brought on the worst of the uh, travel conditions and the safety hazards. All of that has worked kind of eastward. Uh, we're still getting some snow in parts of the eastern Great Lakes, uh, particularly in lower Michigan. And uh, then there's uh, still some activity showing up in, uh, in portions of uh, northern Illinois, part of central Illinois, but that's kind of tailed off. And then there's some activity in Indiana and the Ohio Valley, but uh, not not quite as intense as we saw during the uh, weekend itself. Things have started to let up a little bit. But um, then, then ahead of that, uh, there's going to be probably some areas of uh, localized flash flooding in parts of uh, interior uh, central Pennsylvania and into uh, the upstate New York uh, state area. Uh, that section of the Northeast has had some real wet conditions uh, during this year, and uh, that's just going to continue on. So, like I say, it wouldn't surprise me that there's actually some flash flooding that develops in Pennsylvania and New, and New York uh, with the rainfall that's happening. An early start to winter, do you still see maybe it being a little uh, milder in December? Uh, or is this just going to continue like we've been uh, going here in November? I think that we're kind of set in for this, to be honest with you. Uh, the the pattern may not be quite as uh, cold as, you know, we're, we're thinking uh, could be the case, but um, the Pacific uh, conditions, uh, the weather pattern that we're getting, uh, all of that is acting more and more like uh, an El Nino is, is starting to ramp up and, and kind of influence uh, the the conditions that we have. And uh, when El Nino's in effect, we may not get just real, real bitter cold, but it doesn't mean that we just uh, turn off uh, to a balmy scenario by any means. And I think that this kind of uh, chilly condition that we have with periodic uh, wintry-type uh, precip is going to be with us, uh, certainly through the first half of December. All right, let's go around the world. Let's uh, start in South America. How are things looking there? They're uh, still looking quite favorable. I I don't uh, think that I've seen a, a uh, crop season in Brazil that uh, has the kind of rainfall consistently that they've had. 
Over the past weekend, uh, they had more showers and thunderstorms with moderate to heavy rainfall, and uh, that keeps the uh, soil moisture supplies either adequate or surplus uh, for most soybean areas. Now, there is part of eastern Brazil, uh, the state of Minas Gerais, where there's been some delay in uh, soybean planting. But that's a minor soybean growing state. It's not nearly as, uh, as important as Mato Grosso is. Uh, just about everybody knows that. And so that delay is, uh, is just a minor occurrence. The general impact is uh, favorable for crops, and uh, that uh, obviously is for soybeans along with their full-season corn. Uh, Argentina uh, had some pretty heavy rains here about two weeks ago. They had some flooding. That caused some uh, delays in terms of field work. Since then, the uh, pattern has turned a little bit lighter on the rainfall side. This week, they will have some light showers. I think that they're going to be in much better shape for planting this week. And uh, I know that the growers there are happy to see this uh, lighter rain scenario occur because they certainly do need to make progress. And uh, right now, the situation in South America is looking quite promising for the kind of crops that they're talking about reaching. All right. Anywhere, any other spots around the world we should watch? The uh, the circumstances in in Australia are uh, starting to kind of wind down a little bit, Mike. But the um, the prospect is still not good for their wheat crop. Uh, I think that their wheat harvest is indeed going to be uh, as bad, or maybe even a little worse than what's being talked about. And it looks like the Australia wheat crop could be about forty percent less than it was a year ago. And uh, the, the uh, situation in uh, Ukraine and Russia is pretty well dialed in right now. Their uh, wheat crop has gone into dormancy, and they actually uh, went into this month of November and now finishing out the month uh, with uh, pretty decent soil moisture. And uh, so that really is looking pretty good in the Black Sea uh, region. Uh, Europe has got a little bit of dryness in Eastern Europe, but again, just like in the Black Sea area, the, uh, the uh, winter wheat crop has pretty well gone into dormancy. And so moisture at this point is just going to be building up for next spring. All right, Bryce, thanks a lot. We'll bundle up and uh, brace for more of this weather. Thank you very much. Okay, sounds good, Mike. Thank you. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Up next, we'll talk about that decision for joint oversight of lab meets uh, between USDA and FDA. More from on that for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association next on AOA. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612, 800-664-2612. 
Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Alverson from the American Ag Network. The grains trading in a mix as traders watch for any developments on trade negotiations. President Trump and Chinese President Xi Jinping are slated to meet and talk about trade during the G20 summit that takes place on Friday and Saturday in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Brazilian farmers had planted 89% of the area expected to be seeded with soybeans as of Thursday of last week. That according to agricultural consultancy Ag Rural, that's ahead of the five-year average, due in part to good weather conditions. January soybeans edged to a slightly lower close on Friday. Near-term trends said to be choppy. Nearby resistance on the January soybean contract seen at 895 and three quarters. Nearby support at 870 and a half. That January contract piercing support down 17 and a half cents at 863 and a half. An hour into the trading day, corn futures pressing two to three and a fraction lower. March corn at 367 and three quarters, down two and a fraction on the upside. The 20-day moving average resistance at 378 and a half. USDA said 120,000 tons of soft red winter wheat was sold to Egypt for 2018-19. Chicago wheat trending three to four cents higher, fraction to one and a fraction better in Kansas City and two to three higher in Minneapolis spring wheat. Live cattle futures at the Merck trending a dime to 25 cents lower, steady to 35 higher in feeder cattle. Cash cattle buying Monday will be limited to the assessment of new show lists. Lean hog futures 55 to 95 cents lower. The cash being called steady to a dollar higher. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow up 364 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. you got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't. Because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Whether you call them lab meats, imitation meats, fake meat, sell meat, whatever you may call it, uh, we know now that the oversight is going to be handled by both USDA and FDA. Let's talk about that with Danielle Beck, Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Danielle, thanks for joining us. Uh, are you happy with the, uh, the decision to have both agencies involved? Mike, thank you so much for having me. I, you know, I have to say on behalf of NCBA, we are cautiously optimistic. Uh, you know, this is a good first step. Uh, while they call it dual jurisdiction uh, or dual regulation, 
if you read between the lines, the press release that USDA put out, uh, they have primary jurisdiction, and so we are hopeful that USDA will continue in that primary role. You know, what's most important is that they are on-site conducting continuous, you know, daily inspection to ensure appropriate food safety standards are met, uh, and they'll also be in charge of labeling. So, you know, the way that they've sort of explained this dual framework, FDA will take that initial safety look, but USDA really has the, the meat uh, of the matter, uh, if you will, and we're, we're excited to see that. Now, this isn't a done deal, right? I mean, as far as there are still questions to be answered, there are steps to be taken, decisions to be made. Absolutely. Uh, you know, one thing that was clear from the joint public meeting is that we don't know what we don't know, and there are a lot of unanswered questions that will need to be dealt with before these products can enter the market. Uh, USDA and FDA should work together uh, to answer a lot of these questions, and there may be more that come in in this joint public comment period that's now ongoing until December 26th. There may be additional rulemakings, uh, public comments that are necessary moving forward, so there's still a lot of work that needs to get done. Now, you mentioned the labeling issue. Has that been resolved at all? Well, the labeling will fall to USDA, but what these products will be allowed to call themselves has not been addressed. Uh, you know, we at NCBA, we refer to it as lab-grown fake meat. Uh, there are others out there that have uh, agreed upon the term uh, cell-based meat. Uh, and then there are the activists who still want to call these products clean meat. But, you know, as we've been saying since day one, there are some huge issues with the term clean. It's inherently disparaging to traditional beef products, real beef products, uh, and we absolutely won't stand for that. This is going to be the really the key battle, I think, because if these companies producing these new products are to have any success at all, get any foothold in the marketplace, they're going to have to have a name and a label that appeals to consumers and not uh, scare them off. So they're going to push, obviously, for the most uh, friendly to them name that they can get. And as you said, there are going to be some lines there that uh, you'll push back if, if they're crossed. Absolutely. We are committed to protecting beef nomenclature. The term beef specifically should only be used for, pro- or, you know, for products that are derived from actual livestock uh, harvested in a traditional manner. And we're going to fight tooth and nail to protect that term beef. But, you know, as these products move closer to commercialization, they're also going to be looking at ways to differentiate themselves in the marketplace, and they should be able to do that. So what's really important is that these products, when they do make it to the market, are providing consumers with enough information to make informed purchasing decisions. Uh, But we know that FSIS uh, through USDA will ensure that these product labels are accurate, they're science-based, and they're not misleading the consumers. And it's it's hard to predict uh, consumer response. I mean, you look at how there's been so much negativity around uh, GMOs, around biotech, and the fears that the you know the the critics have been able to put in people's minds about that technology. You would think some of that would carry over to these products, but again, it depends on how it's sold, how it's uh, presented to the public to to see how they may or may not uh, react to it. It really does. You know, I think at the end of the day, consumers like to pick and choose their science. Uh, but more importantly, you know, we're, we're confident in the product that we're selling. Uh, and consumers really right now are very attracted to this idea of all natural, of locally sourced. They want to be able to support local farmers and ranchers, family-owned operations. Uh, and so we know that due to the quality of our product, beef is always going to be what's for dinner. Uh, but moving forward, we have a, a job to do in terms of telling that story and making sure that every single person knows exactly what it is that they're buying. 
We're talking with Danielle Beck, Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. So, Danielle, when you have two agencies with with uh, some level of involvement of oversight, NCBA, uh, in, uh, USDA and uh, FDA in, in this matter, how do you see those two agencies working together? I mean, are the lines going to be that clearly drawn, or is there going to be some blur, some gray areas where the two uh, might meet on that, some of these things? Well, they're going to have to work together to figure all of that out. Unfortunately, you know, what we saw early on in this process was a very public turf war between FDA and USDA. Hopefully this announcement in, you know, addition to that joint public meeting are, you know, is a sign that both agencies are willing to hit the reset button and work together. But what, you know, we absolutely can't afford is for any sort of uh, political infighting or bickering um, that's based on bias and not sound science and what's, you know, in the best industry of all or interest in the best interest of all industries involved, uh, plays out anymore because it really it's unfortunate for both, you know, real beef producers and the purveyors of these products alike, as well as consumers. Yeah. Uh, turf battles have been known to happen between government agencies before, though. That's true. But in the past, we've seen FDA work with USDA on several different issues uh, where they've FDA has made that initial safety determination and then, you know, USDA has that daily continuous inspection of meat products, uh, nitrates uh, using cured meats, irradiated, uh, the process of irradiation, and then clone livestock are three really good examples where that dual role has worked well, but USDA has the primary lead. So how close are we to seeing these lab-produced meats on the marketplace in, in the meat case at our local grocery store? You know, there's a lot of speculation. Uh, I have heard that some of these companies are ready to come to market uh, by the end of 2018, beginning of 2019. All that they've been waiting on is a regulatory framework. Uh, I've spoken with other companies that are really about five to ten years down the road from ever, you know, reaching that point of commercialization. So it really depends on who you're, you're speaking with, uh, but there's a lot of speculation that these products could be coming sooner rather than later. And you have... Uh... At NCBA, you've made it clear throughout it's not about trying to keep products out of the market. It's about making sure that everybody's playing by the same rules. Exactly. Uh, we are not anti-innovation, and we're not afraid of competition at NCBA. Uh, we just want to make sure that any new product that comes to the market, regardless of the production that this product is produced in, uh, is playing by that same set of rules, um, and that extends to lab-grown products as well. And it's not just about the labeling. It's about the risks and hazards and safety mechanisms in place as well. Yeah, the labeling is a big part of it, as I said, from a consumer standpoint and the selling of the product. But there's much much that goes on before that, uh, for that product ever gets to being labeled and put in a meat case. Absolutely. U.S. consumers feel good about the meat and poultry products that they consume because uh, USDA FSIS inspectors are on site uh, looking at the HACCP and SSOPs, making sure that every plant is in compliance with those and that the products that go to retail are safe for consumers. FDA, on the other hand, uh, under the Food Safety Modernization Act, they inspect high-risk facilities once every three years. Prior to that, uh, they visited low-risk facilities once per decade. Uh, you could, you would absolutely not want to see a situation where a, a meat-like product uh, was not inspected with the same stringent uh, set of standards or rigor that you know real meat products are so i'm trying to picture this 
how this would work. Basically, you would need inspectors going into the lab to inspect, wouldn't you? You would. Uh, you would need an inspector on site verifying that the the HACCP and SSOPs are the best possible standards out there, uh, and making sure that those you know the laboratory environment is in compliance. Uh, what that lab looks like, you know, to be determined. Uh, it sounds like you know not many of these companies have actually reached a commercial scale yet, so they're still trying to figure that out as well. But, uh, you know, we believe that FSIS has the necessary expertise. What they don't have, they can cultivate. Uh, and ultimately, they are best positioned to ensure the safety of these products. And so we were really thrilled to see uh, that portion of the announcement. Do they have enough inspectors? I wouldn't be surprised if they had to hire some more. But uh, luckily, we know that FSIS uh, is one of the few agencies that's always fully funded in the annual appropriations process. Uh, if you look at the funding for FISMA and the FDA inspectors, uh, that funding's just not there, which is part of the reason why FDA really uh, sometimes fails to do its job in terms of ensuring safety and doing, you know, taking enforcement action and whatnot. Okay, so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out and how, the, as I said, how those agencies work together. Um, and I'm sure at NCBA you'll be monitoring that as well, right? Absolutely. We plan on. Uh, submitting written comment uh, as part of this comment period. Uh, the deadline, again, is December 26th. We are encouraging all of our affiliates and our members to submit comments as well. You can go to our website, beefusa.org, uh, and there's a, a link at the top of the page that uh, if you want to comment, we've got those comments prepared for you. Um, and we, are, you know, the government, uh, the administration, they need to hear from beef producers on this issue because there's still a lot more work to be done. Uh, and, and that input from real producers is critical. And, it, I mean, it gets somewhat confusing, so it's going to be a part of this bringing clarity to the process and clarity to the consumers, right? Absolutely. Uh, and it's, there's a lot more work to be done, but we will be engaged every step of the way. Yeah. All right. Danielle, thank you for the update. Thank you. All right, Danielle Beck, Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. will be interesting to see how this plays out. USDA, primary uh, oversight agency, but FDA also involved in oversight of these new products coming online probably soon. Uh, Cell-based uh, imitation, fake uh, uh, lab, whatever you want to call these meat products that are, are about to be developed. Uh, uh, we'll see how that plays out, how consumers react to them, and of course, as we've been focusing on here, the oversight, the regulation, the inspection of those project, uh, products. Well, coming up next, as we await the uh, numbers for the RFS for 2019, it's also time to be looking ahead to the next RFS, RFS 2.0, if you will, after 2022. We'll talk with the National Biodiesel Board about that next on Adams on Agriculture. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. 
If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. you got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't. Because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. If you suffer from heartburn or other digestive-related disorders, then there is a new, safe, better, and natural alternative to better digestive wellness and heartburn relief. Praxid not only provides relief of heartburn, but Praxid takes a 360-degree approach to support better digestion, protect you from harmful bacteria, and also balance your stomach to improve digestive functions. We like to think of it as the multivitamin of digestive health. It's the only product to combine all natural ingredients known for the digestive health properties into a single patented product. Praxid also comes in easy-to-carry packs. Praxid relieves, restores, and maintains a healthy digestive system. Praxid is available here for only $39.95. Shipping and handling is free, and your money back is guaranteed. To take advantage of this special radio offer, call now, 1-800-829-5705. That's 1-800-829-5705. Again, 1-800-829-5705. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. 
Antonio H. told us, great company. Got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we talk a lot about the NAFTA 2.0. What about RFS 2.0? 2022 will be here before we know it. What happens with the RFS after that? Let's talk about it with Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Public Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Kurt, thanks for joining us. You know, 2022 has been sounding like a long ways out, but all of a sudden it's starting to hit us that it's pretty close. And what are we going to do about the RFS moving beyond that? Well, some action's already starting, right? Yes, sir. Uh, Good morning, Mike. Glad to be with you. Uh, You're right. So on on Thursday, an effort that has been led by uh, Congressman Shimkus from Illinois along with Congressman Flores from Texas, uh, those two members released a discussion draft of uh, RFS reform that they had been working on for over a year now. Um, It it wasn't unexpected, and uh, much of the contents of the bill uh, weren't a surprise. They, They intend to sunset uh, much of the RFS immediately and replace it with an octane standard for ethanol, um, allow a little bit longer lifetime for uh, the non-conventional corn ethanol mandate, and that would include biodiesel through through 2032, and then rework a bit of the program. But one of the misnomers, uh, Mike, that I think needs to be addressed is that the program, as it's currently written, expires in 2022. That that's just that's just false, and and those. Uh, on the on the side of the opposition, the RFS want to continue that narrative to essentially force biofuels uh, industries and, and interests to come to the table and negotiate some reform of the program. The fact of the matter is, the entire program lives on beyond 2022. It just hands much of the jurisdiction over implementation and volumes to the EPA administrator. And the fact is, for biomass-based diesel, our statutory, meaning the the volume set in law, uh, expired in 2011. But our so our volumes are set by the EPA annually through what's called the uh, Renewable Volume Obligation Rulemaking Process, where we um, plead our case to EPA that we can produce higher volumes, and they receive comment and then set those volumes. Nothing, absolutely nothing in the law changes for biomass-based diesel after 2022 existed for the last uh, eight years. It simply means that, it, it, to some extent, it goes on autopilot, and it's up to the EPA administrator to uh, set those volumes. And, I, you know, some, some of the folks who, who want us to, to come to the table and talk about a reform um, want us to, to think that, 2022 is a cliff. There's there's nothing more in a cliff uh, for in post-2022 than there is today. You just have to make the case to the EPA administrator. And those on the other side may say, well, well, aren't we worried about what an EPA administrator might do? The fact of the matter is, yes, but the, the program, the way it's existed, has been, you know, uncertain and with its warts, but it's 
better than the alternative of being forced to take a sunset of the program that is is a certain cliff. Yeah, we're always worried to some extent what the EPA administrator uh, may do, but you said uh, the critics want to play it up as the program ends in 2022, so that's an opportunity to do away with it altogether. That's what they would like people to think, and they want to they want to kind of portray it that way. But as you said, it's going to go on just uh, in a little different way than it has been up till now. Now, of course, we're we're waiting for. Speaking of EPA, we're waiting for numbers this week for 2019. That's right. So. Uh, to give them credit, this EPA under this administration has, has pledged to have them out on time, and they've done that consistently. The deadline to have them out is November 30th, and they've all indications are that they will have them out uh, by this week. And, you know, we're, we're, we've kind of got a mixed bag in this, in this RVO uh, that we expect to come out. They proposed to provide biomass-based diesel with 2.43 billion gallons for the 2020 calendar year, which is an increase of about 330 million gallons. It is a significant increase, but the fact of the matter is almost all of those gallons have been eroded over recent years with EPA's granting of small refiner exemptions, essentially allowing uh, refiners who claim some degree of hardship to complying with the program a full waiver from their obligations. So that has eroded uh, about 300 million gallons of biomass-based diesel uh, market, uh, which can be carried forward. So while we're glad EPA acknowledged some increase for biomass-based diesel for the 2020 uh, calendar year, at the end of the day, doing the math on the back of an envelope, you, re- you quickly realize that it's, it, it's replacing the gallons that we've lost. So we're going we're gonna to continue to fight for higher volumes. If it comes out at 2.43, we'll be... Uh, uh, marginally uh, pleased with that, but we're going to continue to fight EPA on these granting of small refiner exemptions that uh, kind of run ran rampant under uh, Administrator Pruitt. We hope it's a little bit better under administ- uh, Administrator Wheeler or Acting Administrator Wheeler, but we've got to continue to make that case and fight them on every front we can. Because quite frankly, I think it came out last week that that Chevron, one of the largest mm-hmm. integrated oil companies in the in the in the world with enormous profits, uh, received a small refiner hardship waiver. And, and surely that most, most people recognize that that doesn't pass the common sense test and, and certainly isn't the intent of Congress when they, when they created that uh, uh, waiver. Real quick, Kurt, we'll be talking about the numbers uh, with you after they come out, hopefully this week. Uh, this approach to uh, uh, what's going to – the RFS is going to look like beyond 2022. Are you optimistic that it's going to be uh, uh, will be good for uh, biodiesel? I look at it this way. You know, we we've had an enormous uncertainty with the program ever since our our statutory volumes uh, were reached, and beyond that, in 20 in 2012. You know, we're used to um, making our case, providing the data, demonstrating the ability of the industry to produce, demonstrating the ability of uh, soybean farmers and other growers to provide the necessary feedstocks, and and quite frankly, the support on Capitol Hill for biomass-based diesel is as high as it's ever been. We've had uh, letters circulated on the Hill going to EPA uh, earlier this summer. I think the letter went in August, mm-hmm. with uh, close to 40 senators on board asking for higher volumes for of biomass-based diesel. So, I don't think there's any. Uh, you know, you never you never know what you don't know, but Based on history, uh, 
my prediction is that the, the support for the renewable fuel standard and biomass-based diesel in, in particular, with whatever administration comes forward, is going to be strong enough to deal with those, those uncertainties. All right. Kurt, thanks a lot. We'll talk again after the uh, numbers come out, hopefully this week. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. Kurt Kavark with the National Biodiesel Board.